0: Please join me in Luke chapter two. Let's talk today about good news of great joy. The story of Christmas is the story of God's great love for mankind. Indeed, God so loved the world that he gave his son. In the person of Jesus Christ, God stepped into this world to help us, even to heal us. In the person of Jesus Christ, The light of God shone into our darkness. In the person of Jesus Christ, God stepped out of eternity into history, into our reality. And here in Luke's gospel, we read of these miraculous events leading up to the birth of Jesus. And even though we're reading of the miraculous, it all rings very true, doesn't it? As Luke writes, the Holy Spirit's guiding him. But he tells us right at the beginning that he did careful investigation before he began to write His gospel, and it all just rings so true. Well, last week we saw the occasion where the angel Gabriel left the presence of God and came to Mary to tell Mary the role she would play in the coming of the Messiah. And the angel Gabriel told us who this child would be. We were told that his name would be Jesus, and we saw last time that name Jesus actually means Savior. We were told that this baby would be the son of the most high God. Can you imagine? So this baby, who is he? He's God, fully God, and now fully man in the womb of Mary. And this baby was a king. And his kingdom would have no end. And now we move into chapter 2 and we read about the event. The actual birth of Jesus. And this takes us to chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, as we begin. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So for many of you, a very familiar story. I'm excited though, because some of you, this is a very new story. You maybe didn't grow up hearing this. And I'm so grateful that God has brought you here to hear this amazing news. Now, whether this is new to you or something that's very familiar to you, I have four words for us to help us walk through this that we might see with fresh ears, the significance of all of this. And the first of those four words is the word sovereignty. The second word is stable. Third word is shepherds. And the fourth word is savior. And actually, I have a fifth word, and yes, it'll start with an S, and I'm going to save that to the end. I have to keep you awake somehow. Just hang with me. I want to give you a fifth word. But we're going to start with the word sovereignty, and we're going to see together the sovereignty of God in this census, this registration we just read about. So Caesar Augustus ordered a census of the entire Roman Empire, and in doing so, he moved Joseph and Mary and the baby within her womb from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And that was to fulfill prophecy. That was to fulfill Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2 says this, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. I want us to pause here and just see God's sovereign control, even in this census. That God, centuries before, can give a prophecy of where his son will be born. And then in time, he can move the heart of an emperor to make that come to pass. So from a human standpoint, we hear about the census at such an inopportune time for a pregnant woman, making her move 90, 90 miles or so. Uh, in a day before cars and trains, she's got to make this arduous journey, 90, 90 miles while pregnant. What a, what a grand nuisance. But we see here, this is God moving. This is God fulfilling his prophecy. So consider with me, God is at work even in the census. And we see in the Christmas story over and over again that God is indeed sovereign. What does that word mean? The word sovereign means God is in control, even able to move governments, even able to move kings to do his will. And we see that truth of God's sovereignty throughout the scripture. Proverbs 21, one. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Or how about Psalm 22, verse 28? For the kingdom is the Lord's. Listen, and He rules over the nations. Now, if we weren't on our way to continue looking at Christmas and all that it means, we could stop right there on Psalm 22:28 because that's an amazing verse. Listen again—that God rules over the nations. So there's no nation on earth that has ever intimidated God. God's not impressed by any nation on earth. God rules over the nations. Our God is great. He is sovereign. His will cannot be thwarted. His plan will always move forward. God will accomplish his word. So this is good news for us because the Bible contains so many promises of God. And you and I can be sure that God will fulfill all of his promises to us because he is sovereign. Nothing can stop him from fulfilling his promises. We think about all the yet to be fulfilled prophecies of the Bible, many of them to be fulfilled in his second coming. How glorious that's going to be when Jesus comes in great authority to save us and to judge the world at last. Oh, that's coming. How do we know that's coming? It's prophesied. God is sovereign. He'll make everything happen. He can move heaven and earth. He can change the hearts of kings to make all the things necessary come to pass just as he has prophesied to us. So this is good news for us. When you and I face circumstances in our lives that we say, well, this is not how I wanted it to be. We can still be confident that God remains in control. God continues to work even through things to us that appear to be setbacks. When we go through, through things that feel to us like disappointments, Our God remains in control. He remains sovereign. And as I look around the room, I bet a number of you can already look back on some painful times in your life and already see at least some some portion of what God must have been up to. So when you're going through something difficult, typically we don't know, why is God allowing this to happen to me? But some of you can probably look back and think, well, I can see through that adversity, God moved me to where he wanted me to be. I can at least see in part what he was doing. Or maybe it wasn't that, but maybe you look back at some painful time in the past and you can say, well, I see at least this. God has drawn me closer to himself because of that adversity that he allowed into my life. Or maybe it was this, I didn't like it, I cried a lot during that time, but I can say this, I have a greater depth of understanding of God because of that difficult time I went through. But also as I think about us, I bet there are things that you're going through right now or maybe something in the past and you you still say, I have no idea. How God can bring anything good out of that pain that I went through. And, and nevertheless, we still are reminded, even from what we've seen here in the Christmas story, we should trust in God. He is sovereign. He is accomplishing his purposes. Our faith should be strengthened. So the first word today that we're just considering in this is the word sovereignty. We're actually going to continue that idea as we come into the second word. And I have the word stable. Stable. And that's verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So scholars tell us they don't know exactly what this inn was, just that there was, as Luke said, there was no place in the inn. Scholars also say we're not exactly sure what kind of structure this was that Jesus was born in. I'm calling it a stable here. We commonly hear that. Uh, Some say maybe it was more likely a cave behind a residence, again, where the animals would be kept, a stable, but in a cave-like structure. Some say, well, maybe it was likely there was an upstairs room where the humans would sleep and gather, but the downstairs would commonly be used for animals. Uh, So however it works out, here's what Luke says, that the newborn Jesus was placed in a feeding trough. That's what a manger is. One scholar said it this way. By the early second century AD, even pagans were widely aware of the tradition that Jesus was born in a cave used as a livestock shelter behind someone's home. And they reported the site of this cave to the emperor Hadrian. The manger was a feeding trough for animals. Sometimes these have been built into the floor. The word traditionally translated in probably, probably means home or guest room. With all Joseph's scattered family members returning home at once, it's easier for Mary to bear or care for the child after birth in the vacant cave outside. But here's the clear point, that this is where Jesus was born. Not in an appropriate house we would expect for people, but where we would expect to find animals. That's where Jesus was born. What is clear is this, that Joseph first attempted to be in the inn. That's where we ought to be. That would be more advantageous. But there's no room there. So now we pivot to a place more suitable for animals. Luke just says it more matter-of-factly. He says he was placed in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So he says it matter-of-factly, but let's just pause there a second. And I always like to think about this through the eyes of Joseph. I think I would have been tempted to despair had I had the responsibility of leading Mary, who's carrying the son of God. This is my assignment. Take care of her. We're going to go to Bethlehem and, and job number one, we're going to find a suitable place. Then I'm going to go to the end and not being able to make that happen. I think I would have despaired. i would be thinking, surely I'm not doing something right. I haven't, I haven't done something. And, and so here I have one job and I'm failing at the job. Certainly, if I were Joseph, I'd be praying, not tonight. Don't let the baby come tonight. Let me secure someplace better. We're not going to do this where animals are typically going to be. And yet the labor pain started and the labor progressed and the water broke and the baby was born in a place for animals. Jesus was placed in a manger, which is a feeding trough. This reminds us that sometimes we might expect everything to go very smoothly when we're on the path God has for us. We think, well, if I'm in God's will, there won't be trouble, there won't be question marks, there won't be difficulties. But here we have Mary and Joseph, undoubtedly, right in the center of God's will. You couldn't be more in the will of God when angels are telling you this is how it's going to come to pass. And prophecies have been made centuries before. They're right in the center of God's will. And yet there's no room in the end. What do we make of that? Was was that some angel that failed with their job? You're supposed to book a room and you just let them all down. No, no. This was no mistake. This was plan A. This was the plan of God. Joseph Mary wouldn't have been understanding that in real time as it's happening. They're trying to make it work. But this was God's plan A. So so what do we make of that? Why would God have a stable and a manger, a part of his coming, the most important birth in all of human history? How could that be the plan of God? What's God communicating to us by that? this This is the love of God. This is God coming to us. This is God coming all the way to us. He's coming to identify with the humble and the lowly. He's coming to identify with people like us, people with stresses and people with less than ideal circumstances. He did not hold himself aloof from us. So think of it. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He came through a common woman. He came to common people in order to share in our struggles and our hardships on his way to a cross. Jesus came all the way to us by coming to the manger. Years ago, I read a missiological work and the missiologist talked about the need to bridge the final five feet. Here was his point. Missionaries can leave America or whatever country they're coming from to go to where he's calling them. And a lot of sacrifices involved when you go as a missionary, you're selling things, you're giving things away, you're storing a few things for when you might come back. You're saying those very difficult goodbyes to family and friends. And there you go for the gospel to another nation somewhere on earth. But it would all be for nothing if after all those 10,000 miles or whatever it is that you traveled, if you don't, when you get there, bridge the final five feet. And the writer was making the point that this is the final five feet, learning their culture and learning their language. If you can't communicate the gospel when you get there over time doing the hard work of learning culture and language, then what was all the other sacrifice for? So did Jesus bridge the final five feet? Oh, he did. He came all the way. We might have expected when the king of kings is born on earth, he put himself up in a five-star palace, aloof from the rest of us. But he came all the way to the manger just for us. Spurgeon said it this way, speaking of the incarnation, he said, heavenly glory wedded with earthly poverty. So what's happening in your life that's not going according to your plans today? Now, admittedly, sometimes our problems are self-inflicted problems. Sometimes we have adversity because we stepped off of God's path. And that's typically how we wreck ourselves and wreck the people around us. I'm, I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to go my own way. Invariably we have brokenness because of that and trouble because of that. Here's good news there. God still loves you even then. God can help you pick up the pieces. You recognize today, hey, I've been off his path. I've been stubbornly running a different way. I'm now dealing with the emptiness. I'm now dealing with the wreckage. He loves you. And he wants to help you put it all together as you repent of that and come right back on His path. But we've been seeing here in this story that you can be right on the path of God and here comes struggle. There are challenges and God is still sovereign over all of that. Take comfort in that today. God still calls us all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Keep trusting in God, even in the disappointments of this life. Even if your Christmas this year is a disappointment. Nothing like a Hallmark card, nothing like a Hallmark movie. Listen, God is still sovereign and he loves you. So we've been looking at these words. We've been looking at God's sovereignty, even seeing that in the stable. But now a third word, and it's the word shepherds. Verses eight and nine. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with with great fear here we're told that a glorious angel appears to these shepherds and we can imagine just how bright and shining and glorious this angel would be coming from the presence of god there's a great contrast in our minds as we picture this these presumably dirty hard-working shepherds there at night now in the presence of a glorious being messenger from god but this continues that theme that God is coming for common people. Think of it. The first to get the birth announcement are common shepherds, hardworking shepherds. They're on a hillside. God has come for humble, lowly people like us. He's come for the ordinary. He's come for sinful people like all of us, the people who needed a savior. So, so this is huge good news for us. In fact, today for you, this is a word for you that God cares for you you may feel insignificant. I think all of us, if we're thinking clearly, but there are a lot of ways, which we are insignificant and yet not insignificant to God, that he has come for you. And over and over again in the Christmas accounts, he's letting us know he cares for you. You're not insignificant. He loves you, which takes us now to this fourth word. And it's the word savior, savior, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So what is all this excitement about? Why all these angels being dispatched with news? What's all this about? Why all this fulfillment of prophecy? It's all about a Savior. And we're told the nature of this good news of a Savior, it's good news of great joy. So think about your salvation with me. Those of you who have come to know Jesus, this amazing reality that your sins have been forgiven. They've been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that amazing? That you stand righteous in the sight of God, not because you've been righteous, but because of Jesus's blood has cleansed you of all your sin to to not have the weight of guilt and shame on you anymore. What words would you use to describe news that good? It'd be difficult to come up with enough superlatives. What, what, what would I do? This is a great start, though. This, this is good news of great joy. Now, in fact, I was thinking, driving in this morning, about it's been so long since I've come to know Jesus. I was about 17 when, when I left my life of sin and put my faith in Jesus. And of course, I'm saying that, i say saying obviously every, we all still struggle with sin and all that, but to be saved, to be forgiven. And so it's been decades since I've had the weight of guilt on me, where I feared. I remember one of the things God used to bring me to Christ was that awareness, I'm not okay with God. That if I die in this condition, I will be in eternity in hell. And that right kind of fear did drive me to understand, well, who can help me with this? And it's only Jesus. But I imagine some of you today, you're not living on this side of that. You're still under that weight of sin. And the good news is that a savior has come To take that sin from you, to take your guilt from you, to take that from you so that you can move from fear to this good news of great joy by trusting in Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who was raised from the dead. Listen, we're told the nature of the news is good news of great joy. We're told the recipients of this blessing, this is for all the people, and included in that is you. He said, for unto you. One translation says, there has been born for you a Savior. So essentially, the angel is saying, I have huge, wonderful news for you. It's for everybody. And this is a Savior that's been born today in Bethlehem. So here's the question for you. Do you receive that news today as phenomenal news? Somebody might be here today saying, I'm having a hard time mustering goosebumps over that news. And here would be the problem. If we can't be excited about a Savior... It's because we have this question, question, why why do I need a savior? I mean, I'm fine. I live a pretty good life on my own. I'm not in any imminent danger that I'm aware of. I'm not being held hostage. So so why would I need a savior? So we have to ask another question then. A savior has been offered us, a savior from what? From what do I need to be rescued? And here's the biblical answer over and over again. Here's the biblical answer why you need a savior. Because of sin And because of judgment. You and I all have sinned, the Bible teaches us. And we all face a fixed day of judgment. We're going to live this life once and then comes judgment, the scriptures tell us. And so we need a Savior because of this judgment to come. We need it for that moment when we're going to stand before God to give an account for our lives with all of the sinfulness that we've all done. Who can rescue me then? Who's going to give me entrance into heaven rather than the sentence I deserve of hell apart from Christ? This is why God in great love gave us a Savior. This is good news of great joy. And if you've experienced that where you know your sins are forgiven for having trusted in Jesus, no longer trusting in you, You know that joy that he's talking about. Now, clearly we're told by the angel who this is. And the angel said to them, verse 10, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now this, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, who is Christ the Lord? Who is this child? He's the savior. He's the Christ. He's Lord. This is the long awaited, promised savior. The one mentioned back in the book of Genesis, the one the prophets repeatedly told us would come. For instance, the prophet Isaiah said, there's going to come one and by his wounds, you can be healed. Jesus is the savior. He is the Messiah and he is Lord. And I just want to give you a menu of sins from which Jesus has saved you if you belong to him. And if you don't yet know him, I just want to illustrate by this list. These are the things that Jesus came to forgive you for. Jesus, if you'll trust in him, can forgive you for your bitterness and your grudges. If you'll trust in Jesus, he'll forgive you for your hatred. He can forgive you for your lust and adultery. Jesus can forgive you for your greed and stealing. Jesus can forgive you for your dishonesty and your cheating. Jesus came to save us from our sins, from our selfishness, from our lack of generosity. Jesus came to save us from our laziness, our lack of prayer and worship. Jesus can forgive you for your treachery, breaking your vows, breaking the promises that you've made. Jesus can forgive you for your lack of compassion to the poor. Jesus can change you from having an eternal separation from God to having eternal life with God forever. A savior has been born for us. And this is why the shepherds didn't hear that news and just kind of yawn at it. Or like, "Ah, that must be nice for somebody. (laughs) Oh, they were excited about this news. You and I should have great joy in this news. A Savior has been offered. A Savior has come for us because we desperately needed a Savior from our sins. Well, the angel then continues and he's joined by a host of angels. Luke 2, 12 and following say this. And this will be a sign for you. And you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph The king of kings born in a place that you would normally find animals. The Lord of lords lay in a humble feeding trough. This amazing good news had come to pass. This humble birth. Why? So that 33 years later, this same one would grow and live, live perfectly and give his life on the cross to atone for our sins. This same one raised from the dead on the third day. And here comes the fifth word. This word I promise you this is our response to this, and it's the word surrender. So what do you do when you learn that a Savior has been given for you to save you from your sins? The only, the only wise move, the only appropriate move is to surrender yourself to this one. I love how the shepherds, they, it says they went with haste. In other words, they, they hurried. They ran to meet this Savior. Maybe today you've been running in a different direction. You might even describe your life. You've been on the run from God. And perhaps today you're beginning to realize, you know, I've been running from the love I've needed all my life. I've been running from the answer all my life today. God's graciously given you this message from Luke two, where you would see, no, God loves you. You should be running in this direction. The shepherds are modeling the way. Would you run to Jesus? No longer resist him. Come quickly to him, embrace him. In fact, this is what we sang at the beginning of this service. We sang that great Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. It says, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. There's your move today. I need to receive him. I've now understood more of why he came for me so humbly because I needed a savior. I now know he not only was born, but he died and was raised from the dead. I'm going to receive my king. And then we sang this, let every heart prepare him room. There's your move too. I need to vacate everything else out of my heart, my, all my other loyalties and allegiances. And now it's Jesus. I'm gonna trust only Jesus, the perfect one who died for me, who was raised. He's gonna be the only Lord of my life. I'm turning over my life to this one. Today, surrender. Here's how Jesus said it in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray together. In fact, in these quiet moments, this would be a perfect time for you to pray. As I trust that God has made this message clear to you, how much God loves you, sent you a savior. You've heard that your need is to surrender to him. Would you do that now? You can tell him just in your own words, but something like this, Lord, I see that I'm a sinner. I've been leading my own life, doing things my way. And now I see I need a savior and you are the Savior, tell him, Lord Jesus, I I ask you to forgive me. I want you to take over my life. Lead me now forever. You're the king of my life. Now let me pray for you. Lord, I do pray for my friends that are here. I pray, God, that you will bring salvation to heart after heart, home after home. God, those of us who already know you, thank you for reminding us what a huge thing this is that you have saved us. You've brought us into a life of praising you and glorifying you. God will do that with fresh joy as we've considered from what you have saved us. Lord, be glorified now as we respond to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.